chapter number 11, and uh, thank you, church, so much, and um, I've never had a church to do that before, and so I appreciate that, and um, I did not know that was going to happen at all, but I, I appreciate that, and you know, just, uh, I can't wait to see what uh, is going to happen in that community, and um, kind of share my heart with you. I had heard a story um, here <clears throat> a little while back about Charles Finney. Charles Finney was used during uh, what would be called the second, I believe, the second Great Awakening. And uh, one of the um, main places where revival took place was in Rochester, New York. And uh, leading up to that revival meeting that he had, somebody asked him, what's your plans and thoughts for Rochester, New York? And he said, well, I'm not going there to do this meeting, this revival meeting, just to see a couple hundred people saved or a couple thousand people saved. I'm going there to fundamentally change the city. And over the course of a two and a half month revival meeting, over 100,000 people got saved in a city that had 400,000. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think that might fundamentally change a city? Um, you know, I hope and pray that uh, our neighborhood goes from one that people are scared to drive through to one that uh, something's happening there and we need to drive there and see what's going on. And so um, I'm excited um, to see what the Lord is going to do. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark, and uh, I want to share with you a truth that has changed my life, and I hope and pray that it will help uh, change your life here tonight as well. The book of Mark is uh, my absolute favorite book of the Bible. The uh, reason why it's my favorite book of the Bible is it's a book of action. You find words through the book like immediately and straightway and forthwith, and the idea of doing something, and I like doing something. Um, not only is it a book that is a book of action, but it's a book that depicts our Savior as a servant of man. I'm so glad that we have a Savior that was willing to serve, amen? And since my last name is Butler, it kind of works out serving people. Anyhow, sorry, you'll get that joke later, but anyhow. Um, but no, I'm, uh, I'm thankful that we have a Savior that was willing to serve people. He didn't just come and sit on a royal throne and tell people what to do, he served people. Uh, but the other reason why I enjoy the book of Mark is the book of Mark is a book of second chances. The one who wrote the book was John Mark. And John Mark, if we remember anything about John Mark, at one point in time he left, the, uh, left um, Paul and his partner and went away. And uh, it's amazing that one minute we find him walking away from the ministry, and the next minute he's writing a book of the Bible. Don't we serve a great God, amen? That he doesn't just write us off if we make a mistake. But here in the book of Mark, chapter 11, we're going to begin reading right in the middle of a story in verse number 9. In verse number 9, it says this, it says, And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. <clears throat> and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things... And now eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if hap haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. 
and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. He taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. The scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, Behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, you shall have them. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here at the Bible Baptist Church tonight. Lord, what a wonderful blessing they've already been. And uh, Lord, I just pray that over the course of these next couple moments, Lord, I just thank you for allowing me to be the vessel tonight. But Lord, I just pray that your word would reign supreme. And Lord, I pray that every ear would be open and every heart would be tender and Lord, I pray that if there's one here tonight that's not saved, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night of their salvation. But Lord, if we're in here saved tonight, Lord, I pray that we leave here better Christians than when we came in. Lord, I just pray that you work. Lord, I pray you'd hide me behind the cross. And Lord, we love you. And Lord, we pray that you have your will with this service. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight I'm going to kind of tell you what we're going to try to do with the sermon before I even get into it. What we're going to do is we're going to look at one topic tonight, and that one topic I feel we complicate sometimes. So oftentimes I've found that uh, the Christian life is actually really simple. We just make it a whole lot harder than what it needs to be. And so tonight the topic that we're going to be looking at is the topic of faith. I'm going to throw it out there so you can see it. But what we're going to do, we're going to look at this passage and lead up to this lesson that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And so at the beginning of this chapter, we find in the first 11 verses, we find the story about Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So oftentimes it's the passage that would be read on Palm Sunday. We are literally within a week of Jesus's crucifixion. I love reading that story and I love finding different principles out of it. Uh, one of my favorite things is over in verse number three, Jesus had just told his disciples, uh, two disciples, I want you to go get this donkey. And uh, he told them, if any man ask, uh, it says, if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say that the Lord hath need of him. Let me ask you a question. When has God needed anything? He hasn't ever needed anything. And so why does he need a donkey? It's because he wants to use the donkey and he wants to use his disciples. I find it interesting if you look into the context and leading up to this passage, what takes place right before this is uh, James and John's mother comes to Jesus and say, can one sit on the right hand and one sit on the left? And they had that discussion about them being rulers in the kingdom where God was at. And then in the next passage, we find two unnamed disciples are told to go get some donkeys. I wonder which two disciples those were. But anyhow, <laughs> um, you want to be ruler? Go get a donkey, okay? Um, but we find that this happens, and we find some amazing things. It said that they brought this colt that had never been ridden before, and uh, Jesus gets on that colt, and he walks through a city where they're waving palm branches, and they're, they're flinging coats everywhere, and that donkey doesn't buck Jesus off. Now, 
Uh, growing up in Amish country, I've ridden a few donkeys. They normally are not very easy to ride, <laughs> um, let alone something uh, flying in front of their faces. When you see a horse and buggy, they actually put blinders on those horses so they don't get spooked. And so the only reason why that donkey was able to be able to be so calm was because Jesus was on it. Um, but we find that they, he comes into the city and we find this big, uh, big uh, thing going on where they're crying, Hosanna, and blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, which cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now I want you to take a mental note here what takes place in verse number 11. Jesus has just entered into the city of Jerusalem and it says Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the, what's the next word? Temple. I want you to make a mental note of that because we're going to come back to that. It says he went into the temple and what did he do when he went in there? It says, and when he looked round about upon all things and now eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus went into the temple, he looks around at all things and then he leaves and he goes out to this city that was outside of Jerusalem named Bethany. Recently I was doing some research. I wanted to see if the city of Bethany still exists today and it does actually exist today. The only thing about it is, is the city of Bethany is not a place where we necessarily would want to visit. We find Jesus frequenting there throughout the New Testament and going there and spending the night there and many different things taking place in Bethany. But in modern day times there's some conflict going on in Bethany. It's considered Palestinian territory but it's supposed to be policed by the Jews. Do you see any problems there? It's their land, but you're supposed to govern it and take care of it. There's going to be issues. And so what has happened to the city of Bethany today is it literally has become a safe haven for criminals where they just commit a crime, run out there because they know nobody's going to come and get them. And uh, there's no street laws. The trash is piling up high. And uh, they said in the last census that they can't even find 10 families inside the city of Bethany today. But we find here that in this time when Jesus was there, Jesus went there and he went there with his disciples, the 12 that were with him. In verse number 12, it said that they were, verse number 11, they went to Bethany. In verse number 12, it says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. I want you to think about that for a second because that's powerful. Jesus, our Savior, the God-man, was hungry, which tells me he was human which tells me he was a man. He could have came here and never had to eat one morsel of food the entire 33 years he walked on the face of the earth, but he was 100% man. He got hungry just like you and I got hungry. I guarantee you, since he was hungry, he probably felt pain the same way we felt pain too. He felt those emotional hurts and he felt that physical hurt that they inflicted upon him just a week after this instance takes place. We find that Jesus was hungry, and it said that he was leaving Bethany, walking back towards Jerusalem. In verse 13, it says, And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. So Jesus, he's hungry, he sees this fig tree, it's got leaves all over it, and he says, well, I guess I can go eat some figs, and he walks over to the fig tree. Amazing thing about a fig tree, a fig tree grows two things. It grows a fig and a capra fig. Capra fig is inedible, and the only purpose of the capra fig is to breed a hornet that pollinates the fig tree. That's pretty amazing. But Jesus walked over there, being the God, the creator of everything. He walked over to this fig tree, and it said that there was no figs on it. Did you see the reason why there was no figs on it? It says because the time of figs was not yet. So in other words, the figs weren't in season. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the Jesus 
the person who knew everything knew that there was no figs on that tree? He knew that. So why in the world did he go over to this fig tree if he knew in his mind before going there that there was no figs on it? Reason why is because he wants to teach his disciples a lesson here because watch his reaction to this fig tree. In verse number 14, and Jesus answered. I thought that was an interesting word because normally you answer something that has asked you a question. I don't think the tree was talking to him. But it says, and Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, look what happened in the next sentence. And his disciples heard it. Jesus knew that there was a problem inside his disciples' heart. And he knew within this last week of him going towards the cross. that he needs to nail down this lesson in their minds before it's too late before he's crucified. After they get done with this, we're going to leave this story and come back to it over in verse number 20. Jesus in verse 15, and they come to Jerusalem. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus slept the night in Bethany. Where was he at before that? Jerusalem. So he went from Jerusalem to Bethany and Bethany to Jerusalem. So he was just there the day before. Now where did he go? It says, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the, what building? Now where was he at the day before? The temple. And what did he do when he was in the temple the day before? He looked at everything, didn't he? But what does he do on this day? And began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. It would not suffer that any should carry any vessel through the temple. Now, I asked myself this question while reading it one day. I never had realized that Jesus was in the temple the day before. And so I asked myself this question. Why didn't Jesus clean out the temple the day before? The best answer I can come up with, best the theological answer I can come up with is this. It just wasn't time yet. You know, sometimes things may be right, but they may not be in God's timing. And you know what? I don't know what it may be in your life, but maybe there's something you've been pressing towards and maybe you're even getting depressed about because God hasn't given it to you yet. And you can think all through everything in your mind of why that particular thing is right well maybe it's just not in God's timing yet Southside Baptist Church when Eastside Avenue Baptist Church closed after they got the sinkhole damage replaced they tried to go up there and start that church again it didn't work you know what I think about that I think it was just not God's time yet and now my wife and I are going there for such a time as this and I can't wait to see what God's going to do but Jesus, he cleans out the temple. He teaches them about what they were doing that was wrong. The scribes and the chief priests heard it. They get mad at him. Then we come to verse 19. And when even was come, he went out of the city. Now guess where he went when he went out of the city? He went back to Bethany. So he spends the night in Bethany, and then it comes to verse number 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. In verse number 21, And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth, it's withered away. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus has been with his disciples for three and a half years now. They're one week before his crucifixion. Out of all the miracles that Jesus did, was killing a fig tree the most amazing thing he's ever done? 
No, it wasn't, was it? Um, let's think of some of the things Jesus did. Um, he healed people with leprosy. He helped the blind see again. He helped the deaf hear again. The woman with the issue of blood, by just touching his garment, he raised people from the dead. Jesus walked on water, and I think it's interesting who's asking the question. Peter, who himself has walked on water with Jesus, is shocked that Jesus can kill a fig tree. Now, out of everything, I think I would be scratching my head if I was in there for that moment in time. Like, Peter, did you really just say that? But I love Jesus' reaction. Jesus knew Peter's heart before we even got to this instance. Jesus knew what lesson Peter needed to learn. He knew what the twelve needed to learn, and this was what he said. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus, or if Peter, an apostle of Jesus, who has walked with him for three and a half years, and seen all those miracles, had a problem with his faith life, don't you think we can have a problem with faith too? I think we would be a fool to not admit that. If Peter, the one who has literally walked on water, can have a problem with having faith that Jesus can do anything, I think we can have a problem with faith too. Jesus, after making this statement, he goes on to say unto them, he says an amazing thing of how powerful faith is in verse number 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, when he said that statement, I'm sure some people were looking at him like, that's a pretty outlandish statement. Why in the world would anybody need to pray for a mountain to be moved? You know, I've noticed learning the topography of Florida, there's not many, very many mountains here. <laughs> My family, they grew up in West Virginia, so I've seen a few mountains a time or two. My dad, he was telling me a story one day that I thought was absolutely incredible. My dad, when he first went to Bible college, he attended a Bible college in West Virginia. And uh, while he was there, uh, um, he was on the campus, and there was somebody on campus that was a paralegic. He was, in a, uh, he was in a motorized wheelchair, and he would be going around campus every day, and people would see him. Well, they started to notice this routine happen with this man that was in the wheelchair, and he would go out to a certain point on campus every day, and it was a sludge pit. I don't know about you, but any possible thing that you can go and stare at every single day, I don't think a sludge pit should be top of the list. But this man in the wheelchair had gotten this routine going, and he would go up to the sludge pit every day, and he would just park and look through the fence at the sludge pit. Well, eventually, after this routine continued, some people started asking questions on campus. So why in the world is he doing this? So finally, somebody worked up enough guts and they walked out to him and said, can I ask you what you're doing every single day staring at the sludge pit? And he said, well, I'm praying for a playground to be put on this exact spot. Well, the person laughed inside and walked away and told everybody and everybody kind of chuckled at the fact that this man in a wheelchair is playing, 
praying for a playground to be put in that spot, what possibly could he do to make that happen? Well, my dad left for the summer, and they came back that fall semester, and guess what was sitting on that exact spot? A playground. People started to see it, and they started to ask questions, and they said, how in the world did a playground get put on this spot in the course of the summer? And when they started asking questions, they found out this incredible story. See, that summer, over the, the course, the weather had been very rainy, and when it rains a lot in West Virginia, it causes something called a mudslide. And it just so happened that the mountain that was next to the sludge pit had a mudslide, and guess what it decided to fill in? Filled in the sludge pit. After the sludge pit was filled in, just about a week later, there was a knock at the college office door, and somebody opened it, and they went to go see what it was, and the man said, hey, I own an excavating business, and we just got some new equipment, was wondering if there was any place on campus that we might be able to try it out for free and fix some things up for you. After they had went and they pointed to the sludge pit, they went and they excavated everything, everything making it smooth and that's all done and they leave and all of a sudden a week later at the college office door, hello, we're a playground company and we ordered the wrong playground set for an elementary school and was wondering if there was anywhere on campus that we can install it for free. Guess what that man in the wheelchair got to witness? He watched God move a mountain. And I don't know about you, but I want faith like that. You know, as I started to think about faith and I started to think about people that have been legends of faith in the past, I think of George Mueller with the, the children's orphanage and many times he would just sit the children down without any food in the pantry and just pray for their meal and some food truck would break down in front of the, the orphanage and they would feed everybody inside the home. I think of the great evangelists of days gone by like Billy Sunday or D.L. Moody or Charles Finney, as I had mentioned earlier, with enough faith to say I want to fundamentally change this city. I think about those men and I think about people of great faith. And throughout the Bible, I see people with little faith too. I see people with great faith and I see people with little faith. And so oftentimes we put the people of great faith in such a category that it's unattainable. So oftentimes we may put ourselves in the category of little faith or maybe we're in the category with no faith at all. Well, as I started to think about this concept of little faith and big faith, the Lord put a verse in my life that has absolutely changed the way that I look at this topic. I want to share it with you here tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, very familiar passage. Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to begin reading in some very familiar verses. Verse number 1. It says this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man, I have these next four words underlined in my Bible, the measure of faith. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read that last part of that verse again in verse number three, and I'm going to change one word and you tell me how big of a difference it makes. 
but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. That's not what it says, does it? It says the. Now, I'm not an English scholar, but I'm pretty sure the word the means there's a set amount. See, if that verse read the word a measure of faith, then what that could have meant was God could have came to one person and said, you know what, I'm going to give you a sandwich bag full of faith, and I'm going to give you a Walmart bag full of faith, and I'm going to give you a potato sack full of faith, and I'm going to give you a dump truck load of faith. But because it says God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, what that tells me is he gave you the same amount of faith he gave him. He gave you the same amount of faith that she's given him, and same amount of faith that she's got. And guess what? Every great person of faith that we can ever think of, they didn't get any more than you got. So I started scratching my head one day, and I said, God, if we all have the same exact amount of faith, then why do we have people of great faith and people of little faith? But yet we all have the same. How could something look so different in so many people, but yet be the exact same? I was said, Lord, you got to give me an answer to this. And one day, the Lord answered it for me. I was working at a restaurant in Ohio called the Amish Door Restaurant. I was a waiter there, and I started driving back home. It was 9.30 at night, and as I'm driving on this long stretch of road to the cornfield, I looked out of my car windshield, and I saw something in the night sky that you have, may have seen before. It's called the moon. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the moon ever change sizes? The moon never changes sizes, does it? But does the moon look different? That night it was a half shape. Sometimes it's a full moon. Sometimes it's a crescent shape. looks like a fingernail. Sometimes it's a new moon. You can't even really see it. The moon never changes sizes, but yet so often it looks so different. You know why the moon looks different so consistently? Because something gets in the way. In the scientific world, it would be called the earth. But in the spiritual world, I think it would be okay to say that it's the world that gets in the way. And you know what it gets in the way of? It gets in the way of the light that comes from the sun. You know why faith looks so different in so many people tonight? Because we're allowing the world to fill a void that we could be shining the light of God in. Do you want mountain-moving faith tonight? You already have it inside of you. You just have to make a commitment in your heart to get the world out so you can see it come to fruition. You know, if we start believing in faith like that, I can't imagine what will happen in this world. I couldn't imagine what family members would get saved. I couldn't imagine what churches would be built. I couldn't imagine what communities would be completely changed if people just get a full grasp of what faith can truly do. You know, the avenue in which he was talking about mountain moving faith, he goes on to talk about prayer. Somebody said a statement recently to me that has impacted me greatly, and this is it. Prayer can do anything that God can do. You know, if we go in prayer to God in full faith, 
prayer can do anything God can do. So tonight, start questioning in your mind, what impossible thing have you checked off in your mind that will never be answered? Maybe it's time to get a list out and start writing my impossible list. Things that maybe you have given up on and said, I'm never going to see those answered. Maybe it's time to start writing those things down and start praying in full faith and say, I serve a God that can answer this. You know, we're going to a community called Seminole Heights, and I truly believe we can see that community change. The only way it's going to happen is if some people get full faith in God and say, we're going to go, we're going to serve, so that we can see God do something great. So what mountain needs moved tonight? You're the only one that knows. Let's go to the Lord tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is so simple, but we make it so complicated. Lord, I pray tonight that we've put faith in such a light that we understand all of us can reach out and grab it. All of us can have that mountain-moving faith. We just got to get the world out. Now, tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I have just a couple of questions to ask. In talking about faith, there's one first step of faith that every person needs to take, and that's putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you know without a doubt that Jesus is in there, he saved you from your sins, and you're on your way to heaven, would you raise your hand tonight as a testimony to that? Say, Brother Corbin, I know I'm saved, and I appreciate those hands. You can put them down. Maybe in here tonight, you weren't able to raise your hand. Say, Brother Corbin, I, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've never even taken that first step of faith. And if I were to die right now, I don't know if I would spend eternity in a place called heaven. Would you be willing to raise your hand tonight? I'm not going to embarrass you. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. But would you be willing to raise your hand tonight? Say, Brother Corbin, I'm not saved. I'm not for sure. I've never taken that first step. Is anybody like that in here tonight? Okay. Corbin, I'm going to assume I'm talking to Christians tonight. How many of you in here would say, Brother Corbin, my faith hasn't been where it needs to be. But I got some mountains in my life that need moved. Would you pray for me that I would have the faith and the courage to pray until I see God intervene and see God move a mountain in my life? Is anybody like that in here tonight? You want to raise your hand? Hands all over the room. Well, what we're going to do, I'm going to close in prayer, and then everyone's going to stand, and the piano will begin to play, and the altars will be open. Let's not leave here until we've done business with God tonight. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray you help us in here tonight to be able to practice faith the way that it's intended to be. One that is full faith in you and to see you move mountains. Lord, I pray in here tonight that we can see some impossible things checked off because you intervened. Lord, I pray you have your will and way with this invitation. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone standing, every head bowed, every eye.